trials in our lives. I'm not going to talk about that this morning. That's not the point of the message, but God puts us through trials uh, that sometimes are very hard to face, and the whole reason is he's trying, to, he's trying to burn that dross off, right? You ever heard of the refining process for gold and silver? Uh, they heat it up, and that dross rises to the top, and they wipe it off, and then they heat it up some more, and that dross rises up some more, and they wipe it off until the purified silver is, what's, is the only thing that's left. And, you know, sometimes, I think as Christians, we waste good trials. I don't mean that, and it might sound weird, but essentially what happens is God puts us through those trials to help build us, and then we miss the whole point of that building process. We miss the whole point of the dross being removed and everything else, and we go through that entire trial for nothing because we miss the whole point of it. And God was using that trial as a way to purify us and refine us and, and help make us what he wants us to be. And then when you miss that, you, you went through the whole trial for nothing. Uh, it's whenever you go through a trial. It could be that God is, is disciplining you or chastising you for something. It could be that just like Job. Job did nothing wrong. God just was putting Job through those tests to purify him and make him even better to come out the other side. And you miss that. You miss the whole purpose of why God allows us to go through those trials. That's not what we're going to talk about this morning, but I think that song is just such a, such a, a wonderful song, and, and it's written by Ron Hamilton. I don't know if you know who Ron... Have you ever heard of Patch the Pirate? Um, if, you, if you were involved in any kind of independent Baptist church growing up, you know who Patch the Pirate is, and he's been around for a long, long time, and he wrote that song years and years and years ago. And then he, he got... Um, uh, not Alzheimer's, what is it? Dementia, dementia, Parkinson's, dementia, all of those other things that go along with it. I don't think it's Parkinson. I think it's dementia. He lost, losing his mind. And uh, but you see these videos. His wife puts these videos of him on on uh, different uh, outlets or whatever, and smile on his face. Doesn't even know where he's at. But she'll put him down there at the piano, and he'll start playing. God never moves without purpose or plan. Singing that song, it remembers the words perfectly. Can't remember who his wife is, can't remember a lot of other things, uh, but it just goes to show you what, what God will do through a trial, and uh, it's exciting, it's exciting. But anyway, uh, 2 Kings chapter 6 this morning, I, I'm going to read the passage first because I, I want to give you a little bit of a background to it, but I think, we, I think it would be helpful for us if we look at it first. So beginning in verse number 1. And the sons of the prophets said unto Elisha, Behold now, the place where we dwell with thee is too straight for us. Let us go, we pray thee, unto Jordan, and take thence every man a beam, and let us make us a place there where we may dwell. And he answered, Go ye. Now, what he's saying here is, 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 is basically, th these are young sons of the prophets, college students as we might call them today. They were, they were in Bible college training under Elisha. And they said, Elisha, this, this, these barracks that you have us in are way too small. We need something a little bit bigger. They're too straight for us. It's almost like being in a straight jacket. I, can't, I don't know how big the place was, but they said, you know what we need to do? We need to go down there. We need to knock some trees down. We need to build a bigger place for us to live because this is just too small. And so they go out there to build a bigger dormitory, if you will. Verse number three, and one said, be content, I pray thee, and go with thy servants. And he answered, I will go. So we went with them. And when they came to Jordan, they cut down wood. But as one was felling a beam, the axe head fell into the water, and he cried and said, Alas, master, for it was borrowed. And the man of God said, Where fell it? And he showed him the place, and he cut down a stick and cast it in thither, and the iron did swim. Therefore said he, Take it up to thee. And he put out his hand, and he took it. 
So here they are out there chopping these trees down. And you can imagine, you know, if, if you had to do that today, most kids wouldn't stay in college. I could imagine that uh, if they said, okay, you get to stay here, but you go build your own dormitory. They say, all right, I'm looking for another place. I don't cut wood. I don't work. I don't do this. You're going to pay me to go to college here. You know, all the things that, that we're seeing today with the, uh, with the college education and all of that kind of stuff. But anyway, they, 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 uh, they're cutting these trees down, and the axe head flung off the handle and sunk down to the bottom. I don't, know if, I don't know about you in college, but me in college, I didn't have any money. And if I had an axe head that I had borrowed that sunk to the bottom, I would probably be running in the other direction because I don't know what I would do to try to repay this guy for his axe head, right? But that's exactly what happened. He, this, imagine the look on that man's face when he's chopping this, this, this tree and all of a sudden the axe head goes flinging off and bloop, and it goes down into the water. You can imagine that sinking feeling, right? I remember this. It doesn't really have anything too much to do with that, but this, the sinking feeling that you get sometimes. We were in, um, when I was in high school, we took a trip up to the Boundary Waters in Minnesota. And so the, the, the boundary between the United States and Canada is a river that runs all the way along there, and we were going to camp. And so uh, we packed everything that we had for the entire week into canoes, and we canoed up to these campsites. That was the only way that you could get there. And so uh, on one of those days, after we had kind of settled in and everything else, we, uh, we, we were going to canoe, I think it was six or eight hours, to Canada. So we could step out into Canada, say we were there, and then come back. And so, you know, a lot of beautiful scenery and, you know, just a lot of uh, uh, birds. And, and actually, there was eagles flying around. And so I took my camera because I saw this eagle coming, and I picked my camera up right to take a picture, and the bottom where the, that holds the battery and dropped out, and both my batteries went bloop, bloop, right into the water. And I saw them sinking down to the bottom of that river. There's nothing you can do about it. And I didn't have a camera for the rest of the time that we were on that trip. But you just a sinking feeling when those batteries dropped out the bottom, and there's nothing you can do. And I can imagine that that's probably how this young college student felt when he saw that axe head go flying off and down into the bottom of the river. How do you find an axe head in the middle of a river, right? And so... Elijah obviously is there. He's in a panic because he said, this, this axe head was borrowed. I can't afford to pay this back. I, I don't, there's no way I can go down there and get this axe head. And as I got to reading this story, something, something started to become clear to me, and I, and I believe it fits very well. I think the axe head in this story represents the power of God in our lives. Um, the power of God is absolutely essential if we're going to accomplish any task for Jesus Christ. We throw that term around a lot, don't we? The power of God. I want the power of God on my life. I, I, I hope you would say that, but what does that even mean? How do we get the, the power of God? Why do we need the power of God? Just like this young preacher boy in the story, if we, if we don't have the axe head, if we don't have the power of God, we're not going to be accomplishing very much, especially in the way of service for Jesus Christ. We have, we have special services. We need the power of God. We, we go out knocking on doors. We need the power of God. We have families that we're trying to raise for Jesus Christ. We need the power of God. We have people that we, that we are trying to witness to as we go off to work and as we go out into the community. We need the power of God. We're trying to, to, to change a community for the cause of Jesus Christ. We need the power of God in order to do that. And so there are several things that I want you to notice this morning concerning the power of God in our lives that I think we can see here in this passage in 2 Kings. But let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll look at a few of those things this morning. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you for an opportunity to be here. 
Pray that you'd use the message in our hearts in a way that only the Holy Spirit can. Thank you for all that you do for us in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn over. Keep your finger there in 2 Kings chapter 6 because we're going to come back. But turn over to John chapter 1. The first thing is that we need the power of God for salvation. It takes the power of God for us to even have salvation. And there's so many people out there trying to do that on their own. I can work. I can get enough done. I can do enough good things. I can work my way to heaven. No, you can't. Not on your own power. The Bible says this in John chapter 1 and verse 12. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. It takes the power of God. It's the power of God that brings us to salvation. You can turn over there if you want to, but in Romans chapter 1 and verse number 16, the Bible says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Uh, to everyone that believe it, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. That's the first step. If you want God's power in your life, then you have to come to know Jesus Christ as your own personal Savior first. Jesus Christ has to be your Savior if you're going to be an effective servant for him. Have you ever seen how, how ridiculous some people look when they try to play the air guitar or the air trumpet or the air anything for that matter, right? I'm sure you've been listening to a song somewhere and you've been by yourself or even maybe, you know, in a crowd of people and you're over there playing the, the air trumpet, right? Or, or tearing it up on the air guitar, right? Uh, a lot of people like to do that kind of stuff. It's just a joke or whatever, but uh, we do it when we're playing around, but no one would ever actually take an air guitar up onto a stage to play or, or you know, uh, get into a concert somewhere and pull out their air trumpet and act like they're playing, at least seriously, right? You, you would hope they wouldn't do those kind of things. But yet, so many people in their spiritual life try to do that exact same thing when it comes to the power of God. They don't have the power of God in life. They can't because they're not even a Christian. They're not saved. They don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior. And I'm going to go out and accomplish some great things for God. And you might as well be doing it with an air guitar. Might as well be doing it with an air trumpet because you're, you're not effective for Jesus Christ if you don't even know Jesus Christ as your Savior. It's absolutely impossible. It's like someone uh, swinging an air axe to try to knock down a tree. Turn over to Matthew chapter 7. What do you think this young man in our story would have accomplished by pretending to swing the axe? Not a whole lot, would it? Oh, he, he started swinging that axe, and the axe head fell off, and he didn't want anybody to notice, so he just kept swinging it, pretending like everything was normal. He wouldn't have accomplished very much, would he? And, you know, I, I talk about this often because I, I think it's such a huge problem in, in, our, in, in Christianity. We have churches full of people who are not saved. Because we have churches full of pastors who are not saved. Oh, he's a pastor. He gave his life to Christ. He's, he does that full time. He does it 24-7. He, he gets up and preaches and everything else. There's no way that that guy's not saved. No, look what the Bible says in Matthew chapter 7 and verse number 22. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils. And in thy name done many wonderful works. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. He didn't say there's going to be a few of them out there that think they're saved. He said, many will say to me in that day, hey, look at all the stuff that I've done for the cause of Christ. And he's going to say, I don't even know who you are. What do you mean you did it for the cause of Christ? You were doing that in your own power. You were out there swinging an air axe. You were out there doing something that made you look like you were doing something for the cause of Jesus Christ, but you didn't even know him as your Savior. I don't even know who you are. You're not saved. 
And unfortunately, for those who are not saved, there's only one eternal destiny, and that is to spend eternity in hell forever. And yet we have these people that are out there leading our churches. We have these people that are out there involved in doing the work of Jesus Christ. They're going on missions trips. They're going out there and, and, and helping the poor and, and doing all of these other things in the name of Jesus Christ. And yet, God says, many are going to say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? Have we not cast out devils? Have we not done many wonderful works? And he's going to say, I don't even know who you are. That's why Christianity is in the condition that it's in. There's so many people out there pretending to be Christians who are not. And I certainly hope that that's not you in here this morning. You look good. You fit in. You look like you belong in church. But fitting in and looking good and belonging in church does not equal heaven. You have to know Jesus Christ as your own personal Savior, or you'll never see the doors of heaven. Do you know that you're saved? That's step number one. Even talking about any other power is worthless until you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. First thing is that we need the power of God for salvation, but also, number two, we need the power of God for service. Turn back over to 2 Kings chapter 6. I want to give you three things this morning about the power of God for service. Now, obviously, the most important thing is to know Jesus Christ as your Savior. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, then you need to get that taken care of today. Please, come talk to me after the service. Come, come up during the invitation. Let somebody take a Bible and show you how you can know for sure that you know that you're going to heaven when you die. But if you are saved, and you do want to be effective for the cause of Jesus Christ, then you need the power of God for service. And there's three things that I think we see in this passage about the power of God that I hope will be helpful, helpful for us this morning. And the first thing is this. The power of God is borrowed. We mentioned that already in verse number five, but as he, he said, but as one was felling a beam, the axe head fell in the water and he cried and said, alas, master, for it was borrowed. See, the only power that we have is from God. John chapter 15 and verse number five says, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. Oh, there's so many Christians out there pretending to have the power of God in their lives, pretending that they're doing it in their own strength, pretending that they're this great person and God's using them because of how good they are and their talents and abilities and everything else. The only power this young man had for chopping down that tree came from the axe head. Now, obviously, God, uh, I say God, but, but he, had to use, he, he had to get up and do something, right? He had to swing the axe, but uh, if I got out there with my little, my little you know, ha, chop thing, I'm not going to be chopping trees down very much, right? I mean, I can hit that tree all I want to. All I'm going to get is a bruised back of my hand. I, I can chop at it all I want. It's the axe head that's, that, that really is the thing that's doing the work, right? And the same thing is true. There's a lot of Christians out there acting busy. I've got to do this. Oh, I'm getting involved in this. Oh, God's going to use me. And we're trying to do it all without God's power. The power comes from the axe head. The power comes from God. It's borrowed. Without the axe head, the axe was useless. I, I heat my house with wood. I, and I've done that for years and years and years myself. We did it all the way growing up and everything else. Uh, never one time, believe it or not, have I walked out to the shed, taken the head off the axe, thrown the handle over my shoulder, and told my wife, well, I'm going to go see what I can cut today. Right? Not one time have I done that, believe it or not, in all of those years. No, I get the ax out. I sharpen it. I make sure it's ready to go before I get out there. I want it to be as sharp as it can be before I start splitting that wood, right? Because the power 
comes from the head of the axe. And if I don't have that, then I'm not going to accomplish very much at all. Problem is that we so often start thinking that we're something. That we're worth a whole lot to God. Boy, God's lucky he got me in his service, right? That's the way a lot of Christians look at it. God's sure lucky I gave up everything for him. It's not, it's not you. Now, God has to, we have to surrender. God has to be able to use us. We have to be available for him to use. But it's him. It's not me. I'm the handle. He's the head of the axe. And the handle doesn't count for very much if you don't have an axe head on it. Now, it's going to be also hard to use the axe head if you don't have a handle either. So we do need to be available for God's service. But the axe head's not going to accomplish very much unless you have, uh, uh, the, the axe handle's not going to accomplish very much unless you have the axe head. Now, we're only vessels for God to show his power through. See, this, this young man would never have been able to chop down a tree in his own strength. He, he may have thought he could. He might have, you know, uh, pretended that he could, but he would have learned otherwise very quickly. You know, and, and we'd probably look at somebody like that and think, how foolish. How do you think that you're going to chop an, a tree down with an axe handle, right? Yet God looks at us in the same way when we try to do things in our own power. And there are so many Christians out there trying to do it in their own power. He looks at us and he says, remember what I told you? Without me, you can do nothing. And yet you're out there without that power from God, without that borrowed power from God. That young man could have continued to swing the axe and act like nothing was wrong. But he would have, he would have figured out real quick. And everybody else, by the way, would have figured out real quick that he didn't have that power. That he was accomplishing nothing. That he was just swinging an empty axe head. We are useless as vessels for Christ unless we're connected to the power of God. I heard a story about a missionary in Kenya who had been given a car that he could use to kind of make his rounds there in Africa. And uh, he had that car for about six months, and all of a sudden it started running really rough. And he thought, well, you know what, the battery's probably wearing out, whatever else, it's really expensive. I don't, have the, I don't have the money to pay for a new battery. But what he found out is that if he actually parked a little bit on a hill, that he could get, he could get some of these young boys to give him, a, give him a good push, and he'd start rolling down the hill, he could pop the clutch, and it would start. And then he could go make his rounds. Well, he did that for two years. Every time he got in the car, he had to make sure he was parked on a hill so that he could get some speed going and pop the clutch. And placement, the guy that was going to be there in his place for a little time, uh, was coming out to meet him. And so he said, listen, I got this car. You're welcome to use it. Here's the issue. You, you just got to make sure that you park on a hill. You got to get some, you know, if you can find some young boys to help you, give you a little push or whatever else. Pop the clutch. That thing will start and it'll run just fine. And this missionary that was coming out to see him knew a little bit about cars. And so he went down under the hood and, and uh, he connected the loose battery cable and started the car right up. For two years, that missionary was popping the clutch and parking on hills and doing all those other things, not realizing that all he needed to do was be connected to the power. The power of God is borrowed, but we need it. Without that power, power of God, we're going to be useless. Number two, the power of God is necessary. We see that this young man lost the axe head that he was swinging. And by losing that axe head, he lost all of his ability to accomplish anything in the way of that work. Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Because having the power of God in our lives is the only way to truly give God the glory through our lives. 
We say that all the time. God, I want you to be glorified. I want you to be lifted up. I want you to be pleased by what I'm doing. God, I want your life to be uh, shown through mine. I want my life to reflect your glory. I want you to... All these other things that we talk about, right? And yet, what does that mean? The power of God in our lives is the only way to give God glory through our lives. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse number 15 says this, For all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. See, this young man lost that axe head that he was swinging. And I think what happens sometimes is we get so busy, even doing good things, even doing, he was building a dormitory as a Bible student. Right? Was he doing something wrong when he lost the power of God? No. He was busy in God's service. He was busy doing things for the Lord. But sometimes we get so busy that we don't realize that the power of God is slipping away from us. The next thing we know, it's gone and we're working frantically, but nothing is being accomplished. You ever get to that point sometimes where you feel like you're just spinning your wheels? God, I'm doing all of this stuff. Why are we not accomplishing anything for you? God, I'm, I'm working for you. Why are we not accomplishing anything for you? Because a lot of times what happens is that axe head slipped off and we didn't even realize we lost it. We're, we're, still, we're still swinging that axe with no head on it. When we lose the power of God in our lives, we have to get it back. And the first thing is, and, and this is what most people are not willing to admit, you have to, you have to be willing to admit that you lost it. A lot of people don't want somebody to think, oh, that guy's ineffective for God, so they just keep doing. They just keep doing. They just keep doing. They keep moving. They keep, they keep doing the same thing over and over and over because at least, at least if I just keep doing it, everybody's going to think that everything's fine. Same thing. I, I, I mentioned it already, but the same thing that would have happened with this young man who was swinging the axe, head, uh, swinging the axe handle with no head on it, right? He could have kept swinging, and for a while, he probably would have fooled everybody else into thinking that he was still doing work, Right? Everybody looking at him from a distance would still be seeing that axe head going back and forth and doing all the same motions, right? And we as Christians do the same thing a lot of times. We start going through the motions for God. Well, this is what a good Christian is supposed to look like, so I'm just going to keep doing what a good Christian is supposed to do, and maybe everybody else will think that I'm a good Christian. But you know that God's not doing it. You know that, that you don't have God's power. You know that you're not in his word. You know that you're not spending time in prayer. You know that God is not behind the things that you're doing. You're just doing it because you're trying to let everybody else think, I've still got the power of God in my life. And so many Christians, if we, would, if we would spend as much effort actually trying to be right with God as we did trying to make people think we were right with God, we would actually accomplish some great things for the cause of Jesus Christ. So many people are not willing to look bad by coming to an altar or asking for help. Let me ask you that. When's the last time you came down to an altar because God spoke to your heart in a service? When's the last time God broke your heart to the point where you said, I don't care who thinks I'm a rotten sinner. I don't care who thinks that I'm not this, this great thing that I've portrayed myself to be my whole life. I don't care what anybody else thinks. I only care what God thinks. And I need to get it right. And you come down to an old-fashioned altar and you let God work on your heart. You let God move your heart. you got to get that power back if you're going to be effective for God. What is the point of living your entire life pretending to be a Christian and never accomplishing anything for him? We can't just go on pretending that everything's okay when you've lost the power of God. Everything is not okay. It's, if that young man had continued swinging, he may have been able to convince his friends for a while. But the proof 
is in the is 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 in the fact that the tree would still have been there after all of those years. And you know the, the thing is, people notice, people people see. You can you can pretend all you want to that you're a great Christian, and you might think that you're fooling a lot of other people, but when you're just pretending, it becomes pretty obvious to everybody pretty quick. You might have looked busy, but nothing would have been getting done. And when we lose the power of God in our lives, the same thing happens with us. We may look busy. We may look like we're doing stuff. We may be able to fool some people for a while, but eventually everybody's going to know. And by the way, that hinders the progress of everyone around you, right? This, this young man was part of a whole project. They were all cutting trees down. They were all knocking these trees down because they were building a, a, uh, a dormitory, a place for them to stay, right? And now all these other trees are getting knocked down. And here he's hacking away with a, with a handle, looking busy. But then everybody starts looking around and saying, where's his tree? How come he's not pulling his weight? What, what's going on here? He looks busy. Well, yeah, look at him. He's swinging that thing like everybody else. Well, he just must have been a big tree. And they kind of go back to their stuff. And a few minutes later, they say, what? what in the world is he doing? What's taking so long on his tree? It hinders the progress of everybody else around you that, that are actually trying to go forward for the cause of Jesus Christ. And I'm not saying, it's not, again, it's not, we're not doing it because we're trying to look good. We're not doing it because we're trying to, to, to make other people know that we're really effective for God. But if we are going to bring glory to God, then we have to really have his power. Or we are going to be ineffective for him. The key is that we have to go back to the place where we lost our power and make things right with God. You see what he says there in 2 Kings chapter 6 and verse number 6. The man of God said, where fell it? Where'd you lose it? This young man didn't try to hide the fact that he lost his axe head. He went straight to the man of God and he said, hey, I dropped it. It's in the water. I need help. He went to the man of God and told him everything. And I'm not, I'm, I'm not the Pope. I'm not telling you that you need to come to me and, and confess everything. I, in fact, don't. <laughs> but the thing is, you have to go to God, and you have to say, God, I know this is where things got off. I know this is where I lost the axe head. I remember that incident, or I remember that thing, or I remember this thing, or I remember that, and this is where I, if I didn't lose it altogether right there, this is where I started losing it. And you go back, and you confess those things to God, and you say, God, I need to get this right. This is where I lost it, and I don't want to go on another day without your power. I need it back. We have to ask God's forgiveness to get it back. But then we see this lastly, number three, the power of God is miraculous. And this young man, thankfully, he didn't try to hide the fact that the axe head was lost. He didn't try to pretend that everything was just fine. He went to the man of God and he said, hey, I lost the axe head. It's just borrowed. I need to get that axe head back and I don't know what to do. And Elisha said, where did it fall in? He said, it fell in right here. Maybe they could, who knows how soon it was, but they might have still been able to see the ripples coming out from where that axe head fell in. But either way, Elisha, in verse number six, says, and he showed him the place. He cut down a stick and cast it in thither, and the iron did swim. I think that piece of the tree that he threw into the water represents the cross. We want to get that power back, that miraculous power back, you got to get back to the cross where our sins were forgiven and make things right with God. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. See, because when we go back to the cross, 
And we're not going back to the cross for salvation again. You save, once you're saved, you're always saved. You don't go back to get saved again. You don't go back to, to get your sins you know, forgiven again uh, for salvation or to get to heaven or any of those kind of things. But if our relationship is going to be right with God, then you have to go back to the altar. And you have to go back to the cross. And you have to get those things right with God again and again and again and again and again. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 18. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. See, when we get back to the cross and we lay our sins there at the feet of Jesus, the miracle of all miracles takes place. He forgives our sins. He restores that fellowship and he allows us to have the power that we lost. Do you notice what happened in verse number 6? The iron did swim. Therefore, verse number 7 said he, take it up to thee and put out his hand and he took it. I can see Elijah pointing to this floating axe head. Right? Could you imagine? Could you imagine seeing this axe head all of a sudden just come bloop, floating to the top and then bouncing there in the water? This is, a, this is iron. Iron doesn't swim, right? But it was miraculous. And he said, all right, there it is. Go get it. Put it back on the head of the axe and get back to work, right? It's, it's a miracle what God does when we get that power back. It was not some magic trick. It was not some optical illusion. It was a genuine miracle from God. George Mueller said this, Faith does not operate in the realm of the possible. There is no glory for God in that which is humanly possible. Faith begins where man's power ends. See, God can perform a miracle in your life for you to get that power back. God's power is available for us to use. We just need to be right with him. We can reach out and take it. I, just, I, I think about how pointless it would have been for this young man to have, to have continued on even for five minutes without the axe head trying to do that work. And the same thing, how foolish for us if we try even for five minutes to do this work, this important work, this necessary work in our own power. Parents trying to raise kids for God's glory. If you're trying to do it in your own power, even if it's for five minutes, it's pointless. Trying to win souls for the cause of Jesus Christ. Even if we go out in our own power and try to do it for five minutes, it's pointless. We need his power. We need him. And then I think about how pointless it is for us to continue just working in the church. Continue serving in the ministries. Continue trying to win souls. Continue trying to raise families for him. All in our own power. And some people have been doing it for years. What a waste. What a waste. We're going to get to the end and realize that all we did was make a couple marks on the tree. We didn't accomplish anything for the cause of Jesus Christ. And how pointless a life it is to live as a Christian with no power. It's a true story that, that honestly sounds like a remake of Beverly Hillbillies or something like that. And I, I don't know the whole story, but during the Great Depression, there was a man named Yates who struggled as most people during the Great Depression did. He operated a sheep ranch in the, in the rolling hills of West Texas. And his business wasn't even, enough, wasn't even generating enough money to, to pay the principal on his mortgage and everything else. And so he ended up basically living on a government subsidy. And for years and years, they, they sat around all day, every day, trying to figure out how they're going to make ends meet. And, and honestly, going days at a time sometimes without eating and all of these other things. And they lived and ate and dressed in poverty. And one day, this seismographic crew that had been doing some research in that area 
came and asked if they could explore his land for oil. And he agreed. You know, Texas is known for their oil, oil reserves and all of that stuff. And so he agreed to let them do it. He said, hey, if you find anything, at least I'll get something out of it. And so they signed a contract. And at 1,150 feet, they struck a huge reserve of oil. And the first well produced 80,000 barrels of oil a day. And a lot of this, this, the wells that were, that were dug after that produced more than twice that amount. And 30 years, 30 years after that discovery, they had one well that was producing still over 125,000 barrels of oil a day, 30 years after they discovered it. And that whole area became known as Yates Pool. And the amazing thing about that is that oil had always belonged to him. It was always his. It was just underneath the surface. He never decided to tap down into it, never decided. He was a multimillionaire who had spent years in heart-wrenching poverty because he just didn't know what was available to him. And I think that's exactly what happens with a lot of Christians. We don't explore and realize the tremendous resources that God has given us through his power. If you can, if you can experience the power of God in your life, even just once, and realize what we have at our disposal, you'll never want to let go of it again. You have all of that available to you. As a child of God, if you're saved, if you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. We have the power that comes from God, through God, if you know him. But yet, how many people as Christians live their entire lives without ever tapping into that power? That he's promised to give us. I think about this. I, I think someday, I think someday we're gonna we're gonna be led into a room of some sort. I, I don't know. I mean, this is not this is not in the Bible, but I think someday we're gonna we're gonna be led into a room where God is gonna open the door and say, All of this is what I wanted to do through you in your lifetime. This is what I wanted to accomplish. See this miracle? I wanted to do that. See that? Man, I, I wanted to use you to accomplish that. I wanted to use your life to do this. I wanted to use your family to accomplish this. And yet, because we didn't have God's power, we didn't see it. Yet, because we weren't willing to surrender, God wasn't able to do it. Yet, because we were so busy dressing right, Looking right, acting right for everybody else on the outside, we missed it. I know for me, I don't want to leave anything on the shelf. I, I want to see God be able to use me in every way that he wanted to use me. Because I was surrendered to him. And I had his power. And I let him use me in the way that he wanted to use me. To accomplish whatever it is that he wanted to accomplish. And I don't know what that is. I don't, I don't know 100% what that is for me. I don't know what it is for you. But God certainly has something that he wants to accomplish through everyone. And yet, how many of us are leaving all of those things on the shelf? Because, well, hey, everybody thinks I'm a good Christian. Let's just keep it, keep it the way it is. Everybody thinks I'm busy in God's service. Let's just keep it the way it is. When you know... That a ways back, the axe had dropped off that handle, 
blooped down into the water and you left it there because you were afraid of what people are going to think if you admit that you lost it. We all have the power of God at our disposal. How much power we have right now depends on how willing we are to be right with God. It's foolish of us to go on living our lives without God's power when we have the vast resources of heaven. Do you realize that you have the entire resource of heaven available to you right now? He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns everything. And if God knew that we needed it right now, he could give every bit of it to us. And yet, so many of us sit there powerless, unused, because we're not willing to surrender. We're very rich with God's power, but we have to be willing to do what's necessary to get it. If you're not excited about the things of God the way that you used to be, perhaps it's because you've lost God's power. If you're not, if you're not as spiritual as you used to be, perhaps it's because you lost God's power. If you're spinning your wheels, perhaps it's because you lost God's power. Do you have the power of God in your life? If not, let's get back to the cross. Make the changes necessary to see God use us once again. The power of God is available to every single one of us. Are you swinging an axe handle? Or are you swinging an axe handle with an axe head on it? Because that's the only way that you're going to be effective for the cause of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Give me thank you for your goodness. Thank you for an opportunity to preach your word. I thank you for the story that we have in the Bible that I, I do think is, is such a powerful representation to us. It's such a powerful representation of what most of us do in our lives, just pretending to go on, pretending to serve God, pretending to live for him, and maybe accomplishing things here and there, but being so little used because we're trying to do it in our own strength instead of doing it in the power of God. I pray that if, if, if one person, if one person needs to be at the altar this morning, that they would be. God, I, I pray in my own life that I wouldn't be doing any of this in my own power. I pray that, that you'd use me. I pray that you'd use all of us. God, what a, what a tremendous potential we have in this room. If every single one of us had the power of God in our lives, I can only imagine what you could do with us in this area. I pray that you'd help us to be willing to surrender what needs to be surrendered so that we might be used by you. And we'll thank you for what you do in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would stand at your seat with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. The altar is not a place where we come up to show off how good we are. Nobody should be looking around anyway. I've asked you to bow your heads and close your eyes. This is a private time between you and the Lord. But as I mentioned a few minutes ago, it shouldn't matter if everybody was watching you. If God spoke to your heart and you need to get something right with him, then you need to get it right with him. The altar is, in most places, a thing of the past. But I just think about the fact that if the altar could talk, what would it say? The tears that were shed there. The surrender as laid there. 
Eh, it's just a, it's just a part of the building, but it's a special place. It's, it's a place of decision, and once you make that decision, it's hard to go back on it. Standing there saying, "Oh, you know what? That's probably something that I need to do." Yeah, you're right. I need to have God's power. And you walk out, and that may be the end of it. You kneel at an old-fashioned altar, and you get it right with God. It's a lot harder for you to go back on it. That's why an altar is important. And honestly, an altar was always a place of sacrifice. You're sacrificing your pride. You're sacrificing your sin, whatever it happens to be. And that's why I'm going to give you an opportunity this morning that if you need to be here at an altar, then you make sure you come forward and be at an altar. As the piano plays, if God's spoken to your heart this morning, you come.